0: When I first heard of the phenomenon of astral projection, as I say, being brought up with a very scientific mindset, my initial reaction was, you know, bullshit. <laughs> There's no way. And then, and I could, you know, I could rectify that belief by looking at the at the stories and seeing that, yeah, this could clearly you could you could very well argue that this is all in your mind. But then it comes down to, as you say, the the one thing that did really open my eyes and start make me start thinking about it was. The phenomenon of veridical perception, and that's a very important part of um, the out of body experience and the near death experience as well. And it's something that I argue in favour of to to many people who just insist it doesn't happen. Um, and there are several tales that you see online of, of people on on sites such as Cora and other forums where they say, "Well, I've I've done this. I've been out of my body. I've seen this, and um, that I wasn't aware of previously. And when I went to the the place physically after." I could confirm that it was exactly as I saw. Um, So unless these people are all making it up, (laughs) which seems to be an argument that a lot of people make or they were mistaken in their memories of it, um, I wonder why it's not seen as the evidence for, for its reality as it should be. Because, I mean, you've got the likes of I know people that you'll definitely know of Susan Blackmore and James Randi two big names in the kind of skeptical area, both of whom said they've had out-of-body experience um, experiences, um, but both of whom ended up not believing that it was genuine. So I wonder why that is.
1: Well, I mean, Blackmore is a funny case because she had like one out-of-body experience in the 80s or something, and this was the great revelation for her because... She had one experience, which you can't, you can't verify anything with one experience. You have to have experiences all the time, every week for years, as you begin to realize exactly what's going on, what you are capable of doing? So having one sensation of leaving your body, that kind of gets the ball rolling. So from what I understood about Susan Blackmore, so I I don't remember the whole story that, that, that she wrote, but it would have something to do. I think, I think she was taking a lot of pot or something and she had like one, what's that? Was it LSD? maybe and but so so she had one experience like this but it doesn't mean anything it's actually very non-scientific of her to take one brief thing and then extrapolate a whole career's work of debunking around that one thing so uh, with the veridical experiences and this is also this is the loop that people get stuck in and and it, it doesn't progress very easily because people are typically trained to not believe anything that you can't put in a test tube. You can't examine it under a microscope. So when you're dealing with other people's experiences, then people can't, they, they, they can't fit those pieces together. So you, this just happens in modern medicine. Like I was mentioning earlier, and I'm dealing with like this kind of sickness as a result of um, COVID. So anytime you go to a doctor, because this isn't a sickness that's been confirmed yet in their books, they dismiss you immediately. You're like, oh, you know, you probably just have asthma, sir. And so, because this is this is what's drilled into their mind. You don't, you, don't, you don't accept anything whatsoever unless it has a stamp of approval. So people apply that standard to an esoteric subject like this, and they'll never get out of that box. It'll just never happen. So for, you know, with a veridical perception question, there's really there isn't studies about it. I mean, there have been, but it's just not enough. Okay, so with near-death experiences, you had aware. And then both skeptics and believers side aware because the skeptics say, look at all the people who didn't see anything. And then the believers say, look at the one case where they, somebody did see something. And the skeptics say, but that was only one case. The believers say, well, it was only one case. I
0: mean, you know, white crow. Huh? You know, I mean, white yeah, crow. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's you know, yeah. a good point. But then the skeptics say, yeah, but they didn't identify the numbers set up in the operating room. And then the believers say, well, that, that case they were inefficient in putting the numbers up they didn't have number in, well, in the operating yeah. room for that one case um, i mean and you, so then it, it becomes a, a battle about why didn't they see the numbers hmm. you know, and then the, well we have yeah. to throw this case out because they didn't put the numbers up on them in, in on on the operating theater at that time so with no numbers there's no experience yeah so it just so I mean, it, it might... just falls apart my oh. view
0: of, of my view of the Aware study. I mean, it's all, as you say, it's always quoted as being one of the two studies, Penny Sartori's as well, that didn't achieve positive results. They didn't see the targets. And you look at the study, and it was two thousand people, I think, or there thereabouts. Two thousand people. Of those two thousand people, only one was well enough to be interviewed after having an apparent out of body experience. Now, yeah, he didn't he didn't see the target, but he did have an experience that could be verified later on whether it was the target or not doesn't really matter it's whether the information was verifiable at a time when it certainly should not have been and yes you know they they say a lot the target wasn't seen but to me it's not important what the veridical perception was as long as it was veridical and third-party verifiable which it seems to have been
1: yeah he identified procedures being done that he wouldn't have known about Mm. so as far as i remember from that study that's what happened and then you have the '70s out-of-body experiments with Miss Z. It was at Charles Tart, I think. And, oh
0: yeah, Miss Z. Yeah, and it, so but that was yeah.
1: again. So also that was successful. They had numbers. She was. So it was like this grad student girl. She was going out of her body, and then she was a, She was in fact identifying the stuff that uh, Tart had set up in the in the lab, but then it's just, it becomes this chasing your tail skeptic debate again, because they'll say, well, maybe she saw the numbers when she was walking in because of the position. We had experts look at the position of the numbers. And if you stand at this exact angle in a certain way and kind of jump up, you can see maybe what the numbers were, blah, 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 blah. So then it becomes a, you know, it becomes a debate about some minor hiccup in the experiment, as opposed to marching forward or doing more experiments becomes a, a 40 year, 40 year debate about, um, how many centimeters above this or that the numbers were placed, so that that pretty much is what everything devolves into with this, and also like the anecdotal experiences then don't mean anything either, so it'll never it'll never go anywhere. I mean, I, I I've done for like a perception on a number of occasions and out of body states that I confirmed with roommates. So, uh, so I mean, for me personally, I've done that. Now, how do you put that in a lab and uh, monitor it i mean you can but there's no saying you know maybe i'll have one out of body state a month where i leave my body in my bedroom and i'm able to float around the house and look at something so that would mean to put that in the lab and test it they would need i would need to be in a lab for a month um with other people and things to identify in like a foolproof environment where i, I, I don't actually see any of the other things or, that, that are going on and then there's no guarantee that that month i might be too stressed and weirded out by, by living in a lab and i won't be able to have an out-of-body experience right so then the experiment wouldn't work so how do you actually test something like that so it's really really difficult if not impossible but then I can just know that I've, you know, I've had experiences where I do perception. Uh, it's fairly common. It can definitely happen. But if we're if we're going to, you know, play the game pack and keep the skeptics happy, then there's nothing you can really do to win that game. So, I mean, sometimes I debate the skeptics on some of the forums. I used to do it a lot more, but it's I don't take it I don't let that take up too much of my time because it's uh just being stuck in you know the wheels in the mud spinning the mud and that just can go on forever i mean that's that's been going on for probably a hundred years in this field and there's there, there no progressing past those debates it just it ne- it never happens but i can talk i mean i know i've done theoretical perception so like i know that type of thing happens and it happens in ndes as well and it happens in ndes that are not in the laboratory studies because that's when the vast amount of those experiences will happen. It will happen from independent cases that that occur, and there's a lot of those in like the literature, right? But but they don't. But those cases don't mean anything because it wasn't in a lab condition. So so we're back to square one again. And these days, it's almost like I don't even have I don't even have a lot of patience for that anymore because I just it just you know wheels being stuck in the mud basically
0: mm. i mean it must be frustrating having had these experiences and being able to confirm critical perception yourself that you know it, despite how honestly and how convincingly you tell the story people will say oh it's anecdotal you know you've probably remembered something wrong that's the main yeah, I mean, thing some
1: people will say that and it tends to be people who are really plugged into Western scientific mindset. So if I'm trying to tell a grad student from a, I don't know, you know, you know, going to medical school, then I'm, I, I wouldn't even tell them to begin with because that that's their way of viewing reality is that nothing really exists unless it is uh, objective, non-anecdotal and verified and tested and all of this. So it's almost like I don't even bother. And so some people are plugged into that. And a lot of people are not. So a lot of people take evidence of different uh, different sp- spectrums. So courtroom evidence, for example, things like that. And so it depends on someone's way of viewing reality. And so someone who is a, a hundred percent kind of left-brained scientific traditionalist, uh, they can still learn about these subjects and some of them become quote quote unquote believers or parapsychologists because there's data in, in these areas as well. But you have, you end up going into a lot of, um, like sci studies, telekinesis, macro PK, things that, for example, uh, university of Virginia or Dean Radin's work, things like that, because that's all, you know, it actually is very, very laboratory related very objective i'd also cite like gary schwartz's work but that also turns people off because it's a little bit too out there i think for for certain people to to buy but some people you know they do end up going into kind of the parapsychology area of this but that also to me is sort of like it doesn't always lead to many things without some kind of a philosophical backbone or being able to look at the big picture in some way so you can say okay you know i you can alter something with your mind or here's evidence of the consciousness operating outside the mind and that's great but you know some somebody may accept that and go into that field and by also completely reject people's personal supernatural experiences so they're not they're not using insight they're not connecting the dots say well you know someone's having an experience like this oh and we can see that this is happening that we can observe in, in a lab that people's minds seem to do things outside the brain maybe we can connect those pieces together right but a lot of people are not able to do that so it just again doesn't actually lead anywhere it becomes an interesting novelty but there's no progress or there's no development in what 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 big picture is so that is um that is you know an an, an issue basically that i see yeah.
0: So, what do you say to those that would say, um, and there's many of them, the majority of the population, I believe, that would say there has never been any evidence, you know, compelling evidence that the mind can do things outside of the brain, that there's, you know, um, telekinesis or whatever, psi has never been shown. Um, and when you give them Dean Radin's name, they will say, well, the studies were either very dubious or they've, they've been debunked by the likes of Wiseman and whoever else.
1: But the, the thing is, is that they just they they haven't been debunked. So there's a lot of researchers out there, and there's a lot of work in those areas. And generally, somebody who takes that position, then in my opinion, it's it's political. It's not scientific. So they haven't actually looked at the research. They haven't looked at any of what's really going on, but they have this weird political philosophical perspective that. People who believe in these things are a threat to the institution that has been created since the enlightenment. And, and this, is the, this is the brick and mortar way of looking at the universe. And we don't accept these people trying to uh, upend all of that and replace it with this wacky new age kind of stuff. So there were people, I put a video up about this a couple of weeks ago, I remember 20 years ago, there were all these articles sort of poo-pooing on the double-slit experiment. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and Formidable. basically people saying, you know, the double-slit experiment, it's it's not really that a particle can you know, be superpositional or that the mind can influence the mm. where of you. Know. Uh, the, the, the the position yeah. of, of of a structure of a quantum
0: mm, effect. The, um, the Com- Copenhagen interpretation. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, you know, they say it's not really like people think it is. This is, you know, it, it, it's it's more like th- th- this has to do with like data analysis. We're looking at the way that uh, particles land on something and you can look at it this way, and measure it this way, and sometimes there's an incongru- incongruence that happens and, and nothing will ever really come out of this. And so there were some of the names that I remember personally in the skeptic movements who were coming up with articles like quantum quackery, why, why people take these ideas too far. And it doesn't actually mean that there's anything magical or you know crazy happening. It's, even Einstein didn't believe that spooky action at a distance was really going to happen or have any effect in the objective world. Now there's literal quantum computers being built trying to create a quantum internet using those principles in real time with technology, which will allow people to communicate from any span in the cosmos. So you could have, you could have a phone and call someone in a different galaxy and then they have, Mm. have, you'll have instant communication transfer
0: and they actually have that technology. That
1: technology literally exists now. They just haven't perfected some of the mechanics to um, allow it to work past a certain radius, but they're, but they're close to figuring that out. So, People often forget once there's the real technology that people are using that's phenomenal, that there is this whole phase of people saying it's impossible, never happen. So I just, I can't take Wiseman seriously or Shermer seriously or any of these guys because I think they're, it's, it's all politics to them. And I think that there's this weird little church of atheism that these guys go to whether it's in their minds or literal meetups, I don't know, but this is their way of looking at the, at at the world. And they feel like it's their mission to try to prevent the non-materialist paradigm from happening because they've convinced themselves that there is no non-materialist phenomena. And so when they say, Oh, there's never been any evidence of psi," Well, I mean, you know, you can look at probably a a bookstore of information to, to disprove that. And when you look at their arguments, it tends to become really sketchy. They'll say, well, th- this experiment is invalid because it was published to a paper that I didn't approve of. You know, it's not in the Lancet, it's in whatever other journal or something like this. So, they'll always, so, be, so they're taking the role of a prosecutor, they're not taking the role of a scientist, and they're trying to explain through different arguments why everything is not valid and why you should take their side so it's a prosecutorial prosecutorial argument but it's not objective it's it's to me it's very much political and i just don't think that people like that i mean maybe in england it might be different in uk i i I suppose that they, they still have a lot of relevance but i i just think that people in general in you know in this day and age they don't really Cling to those figureheads to tell them what what's happening in reality. I I don't think that James Randi has influence anymore. Like maybe he did in, well, I mean I mean I mean he's like ninety percent dead and he's like two hundred years old. But besides that, I mean I don't I don't think he has any influence in our culture like like he did in the '90s or anyone. I mean I suppose anyone of that mentality. I think people in general are super interested in so-called paranormal subjects and super interested in in and how these things work and many people have their own experiences and connect on the internet. So, you know, the days of those guys determining what the conversation is, I don't see them as having really any influence. Now that another factor is just that it doesn't sell. So TV shows love paranormal topics and because people love paranormal topics. So coming in with the position that every single paranormal topic is, is not real. Well, um, uh, <laughs> that, that 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 is that that's not really the friend of business at this point because people want to discuss these things books want to sell and tv shows want to be successful and so again who's who's going to bring on someone who just has an agenda and wants to discredit all of it and yeah so mm-hmm. that, yeah so that's, that's a lot to digest <laughs> i guess but that's those are my opinions
0: yeah so what's what do you think then from from the experiences that you've had and the research you've done what would you say is your kind of philosophical position on on the way everything works on consciousness for instance there's generally three main ones that i can see which is materialism idealism and um, panpsychism they're the kind of the three main ones at the moment
1: well there's four there's materialism panpsychism idealism and dualism And, and um I would say, probably, I would say i'm I'm an idealist, so that seems to make the most sense to me. i I think that everything is attributable to to consciousness in a way, but this is a philosophical position, it's not a hard science position, but that gets more traction these days with a lot of these ideas of simulation. you know the world is a simulation. What does that actually mean? It doesn't mean what people think it means. It means that, it means that what we're looking at is something closer to computer code. the thing that's manifesting the code is consciousness of the observer who's who's um, who's turning that code into physical tangible objects and so that would mean that like if you're having a lucid dream and it's feels like a complete reality and it's not an astral experience you know you're creating it through your own mind but you're using the same code, right? So if you, you know, if you, if, there, if it's, if it's a, if it's a chunk of cosmic programming code that makes a clump of dirt into a clump of dirt, and then you have an ask, I mean, a lucid experience, I should say, a, dr- a dream experience. And then you apply that same code into that environment. You pick up a clump of dirt. It's still the same clump of dirt that, that exists normally in this reality because it's the same code that's being generated. It, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like looking at reality more like a, big programming world like a big computer game essentially and that that can to me that can explain a lot of experiences that shouldn't be quote real but they're still real in the sense that they're solid and physical and you don't you know you can't quite square away how that's possible well you can if you imagine that this reality is a bunch of code and then you can copy and paste that code into like a little sub program and then experience it independently of this reality and so then that would apply to both lucid dreams and astral experiences which are basically planes of reality that are shared by other people as well which is also what appears to be that that we're in right now um so obviously that's different than materialism which to me is superstition and then there's um Panpsychism, which is similar to idealism in some ways, but there's differences of probably too much to get into. And then there's dualism, which is uh a supposition a lot of people make in this area, where I guess the best way to understand that difference is dualists don't see a connection between the world of matter and the world we're in right now and the world of mind. So if a dualist, if you ask a dualist about an afterlife, Or where your consciousness can go outside of your body then it's going to be purely mental so it's going to be purely thought space it's not going to be anything tangible or solid or real because there's the real environment that's tangible and then there's the world of the mind that's that's separate from the world of what the world of matter Uh, so this is what aristotle argued and then plato disagreed with that plato plato was more like an idealist but that doesn't add. That doesn't match up to people's experiences. Like, so like some near-death experiences are seem a bit dualist because like it's a, seems to be more like a mental trip or something that's you induce from a psychedelic substance, possibly. And then a lot of them are not. You know, they don't fit that model at all because then you're in people talking about being in real environments that 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 seem like this world, and so that would mean that it's more of an idealist perspective, right? So. Um, so overall, and I, I mean, and even my interpretation of idealism may not even be the best interpretation. I'm not an, idea, an expert at idealism. You know, there's probably, just probably idealist philosophers who don't believe in supernatural things, you know. So, but but nonetheless, idealism. My rough understanding of it is what I is what I would describe myself. What you best.
0: describe yourself as? Yeah. Uh, the last interview I did a couple of was, a couple of weeks ago or last week, someone was with um, Dr. Bernardo Castrop who's a big advocator of idealism. And he, he, I believe, holds a view very similar to what you described. Um, certainly he's against dual, dualism as an idea. Very intelligent guy. I don't know, what's your opinion on his kind of idea of, of reality?
1: Well, I, I need to be refreshed more on what Bernardo Castro thinks in comparison to what I think. So I don't mm, know off the top of my really head say, what, yeah. his, what his positions are. So I can't, you know, I can't speak on his behalf or interpret it if I haven't researched it. But hmm. um, I don't know what, what um, I know who he is a bit, but I don't know what his main area or what his main focus is.
0: Yeah, he's it's I still haven't really got to grips exactly with what he was saying. because it is very in depth. Um, maybe it, it'd be a good one for your show to have a chat with. Because he's he knows what he's talking about. He's a Ph.D. in um, computer science and in philosophy. And he draws very big comparisons to the binary system on-off of of computer systems, to the binary on-off action potential system of, of neurons, and how it kind of relates and why materialism is baloney. Was his book, and um, he's a very he'd be a good one to have for your show, I think. Um, but we'll, we'll leave him leave him there because I wouldn't be accurately give you his complete position. He's well yeah. beyond my. Line. I
1: mean, you know, there's. Um... And there's a lot of angles with all of this and there's people who like i said are there that they can see the universe, see existence of under idealism but they're still not open to an astral projection experience They don't believe that's real um there's other people who have i think fit those together like tom campbell for example and uh you know so people like that they do bridge a lot of those things and i think it's just a natural fit uh, people who are, mater- it's hard to if, you, if you're materialist, though, you know, it's difficult to take the brain out of the equation and say, like, well, you know, but everything is, you can, there's probably people who are idealists, but they think what well, the brain is the processing unit still, and you can't, you can't get around that. So, you know, to be able to conceptualize non-materialism, you have to be able to consider consciousness operating outside of the physical brain. And that's what most people get hung up on, or they can't, they can't move past that concept. I have some really weird theories about that, though, which um, makes it all kind of fit in with my perspective, but I don't think that many people would, 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 would follow along though, with what mm. I have to say about that. Mm.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's the common um, materialistic rebuttal is that, yes, if we could demonstrate that consciousness existed in some form outside the brain, they'd believe that it's it's true, but they say that it's never been demonstrated.
1: Well, I mean, well, well we know that's wrong because of effects of macro PK and um, well, for example, I also specifically talk about life after death. you have Gary Schwartz's experiments at the University of Arizona. And the only proper rebuttal I've seen is, well, he's not he's not publishing them to a legitimate journal because legit journals, they won't accept his work because it's too esoteric. So that's a catch 22. How, so how is he supposed to put things in the Lancet or nature if they wouldn't accept his experiments anyway? But if you actually look at the experiments themselves, and I believe from, you know, I had somebody working in that area on my show a few months ago. I, Allegedly, they are replicating those experiments in other universities, which would really make it difficult to um, square away. But basically, when you're dealing with inte- invisible intelligences who are operating devices, operating lab machinery, and are verifying that their existence is in laboratory settings, that there is an invisible person in a room who is pushing buttons and operating switches, which is a very uh, a simplistic form of, Explanation of what Schwartz is doing. Then you know you then how is there an invisible person doing something, right? So <laughs> is this invisible person have a brain. Maybe they don't have a brain, or maybe they have some form of a brain that we don't understand, but it messes up these conceptions that it, it's all brain dependent. And uh, then of course you can look at yogis. You can look at people who can perform amazing feats of mind over matter like Wim Hof is one guy you know the Iceman who can be in arctic conditions and he can maintain his body at any temperature it wants basically so I mean there's people who can do things that seem way beyond the scope of just the brain and so yeah that's a whole conversation I guess but yeah
0: I think usually um what's brought into question is the matter of effect size when it comes to psi experiments usually there is a lot of um consistency between the results but because the effect size is so small although it's consistent and uh, beyond what you'd expect from chance because it's only just kind of beyond that boundary people would say it's not strong enough evidence statistically
1: um you know i i don't i mean it's It would be great to ask someone like Dean Radin, something like that, people who are constantly doing these experiments. I'm a bit skeptical that the effect size is always as small as they may be representing it to be. I think that's something... I mean, I'm not a scientist at all. I'm kind of spitballing here. I'm I'm a writer or or journalist in this area, but if you're looking at something happening on a micro, quantum level of an effect happening, that seems very, very, very minute, very small. But what what they're not... Uh, what they're not uh, considering is how that may be happening on a macro, macro, macro perspective. So something's happening on the, uh, on, on the tiniest level of consciousness is affecting the way that a number pattern organizes itself, right? On in a, in a way that's just above statistics, just, just above statistical chance. Well, uh, how would that affect the operating on a mass scale? Right, so there's interesting effects of mass meditation. There's some interesting stats about that that I put in my second book, which people can look at, that talks about mass consciousness effects on things. So, you know, so all these experiments looking at like one person, one person's consciousness changing the stats a little bit on something. But what isn't properly being looked at is what happens if you blow that out to a much, much, much bigger. Proportion. So if it can happen just a little tiny bit, what else could be happening, basically? So it's very strange if someone sees an effect happening on a very small level and saying this isn't uh, predominant enough to be a real effect. I'm not so sure that's a scientific argument. It sounds, again, like a prosecution's argument, because even if something's happening on a very small level, one person altering a number generator or doing any other number of experiments, then uh it's still very significant number two there's been a lot of crazy experiments crazy stuff that raiden's been involved in uh, he has a whole section in one of his books i remember about uh, uh basically like macro pk in the form of spoon bending which was long ago debunked but then he was attending groups that seemed to have people who people who seem to have the ability to write in front of others. Um, altered the consistency of metal objects and oftentimes it was involved like a group of people kind of like putting their consciousness together into one spot and then altering the 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 structure of an object which is i mean uh, it's 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 very unusual stuff and there's of course been endless accounts of quote paranormal things happening throughout history and a lot of that is explained by some of these things that we're just kind of poking around the surface of but you know i I just think that people have to do the whole people actually have to do the research and look into the experiments and and see all the data before they do a debunking effort and say well you know it's too statistically insignificant even though it is statistically significant but it's too statistically insignificant for them to be able to convince them which is a subjective point of view based on their philosophy so it's not um, actually yeah yeah scientific approach. So I know i some. Sometimes it's not
0: much. even sometimes it's not even kind of to that level. I mean, the vast majority of people I see who are against or you know publicly against this sort of thing online are always piggybacking off of one of the prominent skeptics and saying, well, he's shown that this is not the, the case, and you can see them quoting the, these people. I mean, when it, when it comes to things like spoon bending and and PK, you're always. Going to be referred back to Yuri Geller and James Randi, for instance.
1: Well, you know, it's funny thing about Yuri Geller is that he lives in a he lives in a bigger house than Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or anybody else. And he, he's blah, blah. I don't know where he is like Wales or somewhere up there in the UK. And he lives in a he lives in basically a palace. I mean, his pictures of his house it looks bigger than Kensington Palace there in um, in London. And so, why does Yuri Geller have endless millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars? Because Yuri Geller who was a big fan of faking spoon bending to build his reputation, because I think that he is a non-ethical business person who doesn't really, who has abilities and doesn't care one way or the other. He just wants to make lots of money. But how did he end up making tens of millions of um, pounds? Well, he turned out to be an extremely good remote viewer. And it turns out remote viewing is directly applying non-materialist principles to benefit governments and companies. And there's a lot of, I mean, remote viewing is kind of like, if you're dealing, you know, if you wanna talk and give energy to the skeptics, you play the remote viewing card. And it's it's difficult for them to talk their way out of that because governments have hired remote viewers. The the CIA here in the US, in, in the States, have hired remote viewers we've had presidents like um, jimmy carter vouch for remote viewing especially during the cold war and we have companies that hire remote viewers and pay them obscene amounts of money because they're able to spy on competitor companies in a way that creates huge advantages especially if those competitor companies don't believe remote viewing is real mm. and then they don't mm. employ their own remote viewers.
0: Is that still uh, going on today?
1: Oh, it happens all over the place. Uh, there's, there's a guy named John Vavanko, and he has a really, really interesting book about his experiences as a government-contracted remote viewer and his team, as well as, uh, as, well as uh, for private corporations. But he's you know, been employed by the U.S. government for anti-terrorism purposes, and many, many, many uh, private firms and companies. And he dropped out of the business because of too many people trying to uh, assassinate him and his team basically. So, so I mean, they're, they're, I mean it's, it's one of these things where it's, um, it's kind of like an open secret and that's maybe also why it's not like, doesn't blow up in the scientific fields because the fewer people who engage in remote viewing the more of an advantage that a group might have. So if everyone was practicing it and it was totally mainstream, then a company wouldn't have the advantage of hiring a remote viewer to mm. obtain information about a competitor. Or a it government may not have the advantage to use a remote viewer to stop a terrorist attack. But all this stuff can be researched by people who actually want to research it and look in, you know, look deeper into. Uh, that that field and that world and the tower that 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 stuff's highly verifiable. So uh with you know if we want to give give energy to these these skeptics, it's they they don't really have a way to they can try to talk their way out of the remote viewing subject. But again look at Yuri Geller's house. How who's giving him tens of millions of dollars and why doesn't he publicize it very much or talk about it. He doesn't care. He's not out trying to prove it. He's he's trying to become the wealthiest guy in England because they give him loads of money on a on a clandestine private level to practice that skill he could care less if um James Randy debunked him spending spoons if anything that's a that was an advantage because again the fewer the people who believe in some of these subjects the more money he makes yeah of course so yeah, he could care right. less so there's yeah mm.
0: With remote viewing, many people know of the Project Stargate that took place from the... By the was it the CIA? Yeah. Um, and they will also tell you that it was shut down because it wasn't finding results.
1: But that this is a more BS narrative. So if you look into the people who, quote, shut it down, there were two names. One was... Um, I'm forgetting. What was it? um am uh, trying to remember the name of the guy. I'd have to look it up. I don't have my notes on it. But I remember there, there was a man and a woman. The woman actually... Supported all the results, and then then, then the skeptical guy. Uh, well, it wasn't wise. It was uh, it was uh, one of the name, One of the skeptic names was actually the guy who uh, filed the report to end uh, the CA. Yeah,
0: I know, um, I know who you mean. Um, and
1: anyway, and, and it, even he acknowledged I remote viewing as working, but the issue being, what if someone gets something wrong or gets wrong information and causes you know, a disaster and whatever the intelligence operation might be, or it's not reliable enough. But but there was still a conflicting opinion about that. And it's one of these things where it's really, really narrow thinking to think that there was a public report about ending an operation. So let's all completely 100% believe that. And 100% believe that now the government isn't still doing it despite the fact that there's remote viewers like Geller and many others and people who come forward and have written books about it, who have still been hired by the U S government or hired by other governments and have made millions of dollars doing so. Right. So it's just kind of like basic critical thinking. So I'm worried some of these guys or debunkers, they don't like they they're just missing a critical thinking circuit where they could just put a couple of pieces together and say, Hey, look, Uh, Obviously, remote viewing is still going on. Here is all that research to show it just because a government that's studying a critical national security matter says something that maybe isn't true. (laughs) it It doesn't mean we should have to believe what that government says, because that's what governments do, especially dealing with national security matters, is they sometimes say things are not real. To protect certain things
0: they have to, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It's, mm. So that is non-controversial to me. But if you if you talk to the debunker skeptic, then they'll take that report that they closed Stargate, which again it had real effects. Jimmy Carter is quoted talking about finding a crashed, uh, um, I don't maybe in a, 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 a fighter jet. I don't remember. Or, Trying to remember what it was, I think it was a, it, it was something. I think it was like a fighter jet or something in the Soviet Union that remote viewers were able to locate. So I think, you, know, you just have to go into the research, and I don't I don't give the energy to the skeptics. Because it's a, it's a, it's to go on the earlier point. It's wheels in the spinning mud. So it's the argument doesn't go anywhere, and there's no progress, and we're not getting close to the truth. So for me personally, I. I Yeah, they're there and people still make them into a relevant thing, but I don't really care so much about what Wiseman thinks or what Shermer thinks.
0: Hmm. So, move on to the subject that kind of both of our channels is based on, and that's death. Mm -hmm. Um, It started for me out of anxiety and depression, which caused the fear of death and a fear of never existing and never being aware for eternity. That was an idea that absolutely terrified me and I, an idea I subscribed to because that's, I never had the interest in looking deeper into it. Um, as a out-of-body experiencer yourself, I'm sure you have more direct access to this information as to what exactly our experiences will be disincarnate if indeed there is such an experience. So um, do you believe then that the experiences that you have Offer uh, at least you personal proof of survival.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it does. I think most people have to find their experiences to get their proof in that in that in that regard. Uh, but you can also find that proof by studying a lot of areas in this subject. I always sometimes reference people to victorzammit.com, which is a forty-plus areas of research evidence about life after death. But if you want to know more about what it actually consists of you can have astral experiences and things like that and you can you can glean information that way if someone gets really good at doing that but um, a lot of it ties into after death communications with people and that's the best way to to prove an afterlife is by having experiences with dead people and doing the astral work or the out-of-body work often facilitates those experiences to begin happening in people's lives, whereas they didn't happen before. So it's like when you activate that switch, you can start having experiences. Sometimes declare audience experiences, I get those frequently or actual visitation experiences with deceased people. If there's deceased people in your life who want to visit you, some people maybe, maybe they don't have that, but it's especially true when someone loses a parent or loses a sibling or a close friend, and then you start opening those switches up. You can possibly start having experiences with them, and um, they can be um, um, attached to the out of body or astral phenomenon. So for me, it happens enough that, like last night, I had a clairaudient thing with uh, my father, who passed away, as well as my mother. And uh, and, and sometimes, often for me, it's as uh, normal as a phone call. And in this case, I was basically telling my father, it's like, hey, you know, I'm kind of suffering down here. I got this sickness, like, you know, there's this horrible pandemic going. If anyone has anything they can give or some kind of healing energy, send it my way. My father was very concerned about this. Uh, But that was a conversation I was having with him like last night in a, uh, you know, pseudo-astral out-of-body state, um, kind of lying on my bed and, um, you know, going into that going to that state of consciousness and then finding that I was getting kind of like a Skype call from, you know, from my deceased parent. And that to me, I mean, that that is fairly common with me. So it's not um, unusual if, if if that type of thing happens. And, uh, you know, it's ultimately, if you have to look at things on a strictly scientific perspective, and we're looking at different universes. And so this is Stephen Hawking talked a lot about this before his death. He talked about people people's reports with so-called uh, shadow people you know he's, he's theorizing like are are there shadow people are these remnants or images or apparitions of other people living in a higher dimension higher spectrum that that we don't quite have access to and this, this was actually all in the paper that hawking wrote i don't know how long before he his passing. you can actually just google stephen hawking shadow people so you know so some very smart people were speculating about this anyway but that's how it all fits together ultimately is you call know, your consciousness existing on different levels all over the place. So it doesn't matter if you have a physical brain here; that's the arbiter of your experiences here because you actually exist on all these different levels. So if you die here, you just shift awareness to a different level that you may have already been existing on previously. But and so off? that is what the afterlife is, and now these different levels are different. That levels of, the, of of the programming you know different different parts of the different parts of the code and so really it takes studying after death contact after death exp- you know after death um, exp- uh, yeah after death contact communication yeah and and, and maybe NDEs to some extent and a lot of other subjects in those areas to learn more about that i guess and that that is a whole field and it's the main field of course that i talk about in in, in my books as well which is um because that's more, much more practical to me, uh, is tackling death, the fear of death and what happens when you die versus just going on and on about um, freaking paratopics, but no, no real practical benefit, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've always been under the impression that, you know, death is the one thing that's certain to happen to all of us. And I think it's foolish not to have a good, a good understanding of what's going to happen. I mean, many people are age kind of, I mean, I don't know how old you are, I'm 24, I don't know if you're around the same age, but a lot of people, you know, younger people, never concern themselves with it. And to me, I just don't understand why, because it's the only certain thing to happen. You know, I want to know what's going to happen. Um. So you, you, in your experiences, you have visited the levels or the realms or the dimensions of where you'd expect to go after death.
1: Uh, yeah, that 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 is correct. I, excuse me, for lack of a better term, I mean that's typically an astral experience. Maybe not always, but but typically you're in a realm that is populated by other people from this world who are lo dually located here and there, or people from this world who have died. And so that brings into mind the cultural aspect of whether what do people there think of this world and that's often a, something I inquire if I'm asked astrophojecting if I'm talking to people and I, I, I you know I talked to one guy who said that he was never born in this world he knows about it he knows that the people are having experiences on this level of reality that to him it sounds like hell he says he says he can't imagine a more frightening prospect than to have your consciousness stuck in just one body stuck in one environment he can't get out of and it's unbelievably painful and everyone's confused and unhappy. And he said he only knows about it through um, hearing about it from other people who have had experiences in this world. And he just says it seems like the biggest nightmare. And he was uh, very He's surprised, surprised that I was from this world and able to communicate mm-hmm. talk about it. And that, that, that was one, you know, one person I talked to. But that, there's been many, many, many more. And there's also sometimes variations of that perspective about what this world is like by comparison to what what their world is like. So that um, that to me sort of sums up almost what we're, what we're dealing with here, which is um, these different different sort of programming that glues these different realities together, different rule sets, and that I think I think we got a very unlucky hand in, in, in this particular reality. But that's that that's what we're dealing with that, that that's what we you know have to make better somehow but but as for projecting you can find yourself in these higher realities where as i talked about at the beginning you know you meet sentient people and hopefully have have a conversation about that subject and be able to learn from their perspective more what's going on obviously it gets much more complicated than that but at, it, at the bare minimal that's that's kind of what's going on
0: Yeah, and touch upon a point that you mentioned in your last video as well, I do watch him, (laughs) Um, is that, and I agree that, you know, being able to drastically project and being personally certain of, of what's to come after death and that there is something to come after death. As you said, a lot of people would be concerned that that would mean, well, a lot of people would then want to commit suicide and leave this life. But to me, that would make my life a lot more meaningful and be more encouragement for me to continue because you know, I believe we're here to learn and it's not a nice place to be, but it's it's an important one. Um, and it would encourage me that I can keep going because I know there's something more, not trying to escape it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think eight out of 10 people, it would greatly benefit them. Maybe two out of 10 people, it would give them some excuse to maybe take their lives. And so it's a, so it's one of these ethical questions. I, I, um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't feel like it's something that would be a detriment to society at all, but there's some people who feel differently and feel it would be a detriment. And when you go into spirit communication, communicating with, people on that side you learn that that is something that they're afraid of you know they're afraid of overselling it and they're afraid of um people getting too excited about their side because they don't want to interrupt why we're here so spirit communication is a very weird field and if you approach it critically and you you find patterns of things that they try to say to us and things that they What I find interesting is the things they don't want to talk about because there's patterns, of things that, you know, if you, if you're communicating with that side in some way, and there's many, many ways that people do it or have done it. Obviously the most direct is an after death contact or an astral experience where you can face someone, look at someone face to face and talk to them. But, you know, there's things that they're hesitant to talk about things that they don't want to reveal. And I think a lot of that comes down to that issue because they're like, you know they don't want to say how much better it is, because I think they're they're just a, they're just scared that it's going to lead to suicides. But I don't know. I don't think that really happens. Like you said, I think that it has the opposite effect. I think if people learn about an afterlife, then it creates a sense of meaning in their lives, which they which tends to get stomped on by a lack of um, spiritual foundation in people's lives. Yeah. So people I need th- that spiritual the, foundation. I think, and
0: I think the determining factor would be whether someone has the kind of the urge to on hearing the information, whether they'd instantly want out of this place or whether they'd use that as a cue to kind of, instead of trying to leave it as soon as possible, but to understand why it's important that they're here and to understand why they are here as opposed to over there, which is what, more the way I'd be inclined to, to go.
1: Yeah. And I think that has to do with maturity too of the person. And so I think somebody who has a more mature perspective will see it that way you know, and they will make the right decisions. They're not going to try to exit because they hear that something is better. And, uh, but, but some people, they may be in a certain state of mind where maybe they're looking for an excuse to say, well, now nothing's holding me back. But other people though, they want to exit. You know, I don't, don't wanna make YouTube angry by saying certain words, but you know, they don't wanna, you know, they, they want to exit this world because they don't want to exist anymore. So they don't, you know, a lot of people don't, don't believe in an afterlife and they're looking to disappear and they do. I mean, so yeah,
0: that, I mean, the thing, the thing was, I was at that stage when I was 16 and I was very close, but the fear of death kind of stopped me from doing it. But now, you know, 12, how old am I now? Uh, eight or nine years later, looking back, you know, that was a really tough time and it was horrible to experience, but I wouldn't now change that experience for anything. Because the benefit that that's caused me being there and having recovered from it, you know, it's taught me a hell of a lot more than anything else I've ever experienced. And that's kind of the the realisation, isn't it, is going through life on Earth is tough, but ultimately it will be a huge benefit in the long term.
1: Yeah, and I think that is the big point. And it's um, I sometimes wonder if people in these afterlife, whatever you want to call higher dimensions, if they don't get a bit spoiled or out of touch with um, what matters on like their self-development or growth, because they're not maybe there's not as many like in-your-face challenges, right? That that happen to people in places where they're where the physical rules are a little bit more flexible, right? So you know so if you're in an environment where it's more flexible, then it's harder for things to directly happen to you, right? So here you can get hit by a sickness. And so I've been obviously dealing with a sickness for like seven months, but it's uh, done a lot to change my um, appreciations and uh, discipline and focus on my health and things that if or when I'm finally, cleared of this which i think is happening slowly my life will suddenly be on a new level of i guess health and fitness and maturity and understanding and appreciation like all these things
0: Mm, It would have gone up a gear yeah
1: yeah so you know then i'm gonna look back and be like boy i'm so happy i got covid and i'm so happy that i got a i got a chronic sickness out of it because my life is so much better now so that's that 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 that's the weird stuff that happens to people, you know, and it seems to be connected to this type of reality, and it may explain a lot of things. But that being said, you learn those things, and then, you know, I think um, I think to people on that side, like their world is the normal world, and this is the bizarre world. This this, this is the paranormal subject. This is the this, this, this is the. <laughs> This is the abnormal yeah, place to exist. Yeah. This is the, is, this, in the yeah. is the normal world. And, you know, to them, they don't call their world like the afterlife or something. You know, for them, they're on the earth. They're on this earth. And this is like a sub-level of their existence, which some people only know about in rumor. and uh, Or they have to, like like, we have experiences there. They have earth plane experiences here, which... As opposed to being uplifting and inspiring and beautiful, like when we have experiences with the other side, I think for them it's the opposite. It's like, yeah, oh my yeah. god, I had this it's horrible like nightmare. I, yeah. I was living in this world where, uh, where everybody was ignorant, and you know we couldn't get out of it. And we were stuck, and yeah, so. yeah,
0: yeah. So let's let's run through them. What what we can expect? Kind of the last after the last breath we take. So you're lying in your deathbed on your morphine drip. And you're approaching the end, you take your last breath. What then would you say happens in our experience?
1: Well, I mean, there the hundreds of thousands of near death experiences people can read. And I think that that, that is an introduction to what, what seems to happen to most people because that is the objective way of looking at it, right? So if you want to know what happens when you die, look at people who have died or have had cardiac arrest and had supernatural experiences because that is the most direct way to get information, right? So what happens is people have an out-of-body experience they're in their operating room uh they may see a deceased loved one entering into to come and get them and then the tunnel may open up they may feel themselves going through the tunnel which seems to be a way to connect different dimensions together in some way that we don't understand experiences with the light or god it seems to be something to do with a higher version of our existences something that comes and replays your life that you've had on earth so that you get the most benefit from your life on earth that you remember all these things that you did and that and it puts it all back into the forefront of your mind and then from there it's a transition to some other dimension other other reality i I think one thing that differs a little bit from the near-death experience is actually with a lot of near-death experiences people go to these really sublime sort of for lack of a better term heavenly environments sometimes they're difficult to wrap our minds around like i i was just reading ndes the other day it's interesting how many ndes people are in like a crystal city you know and, you mm. know people flying around like peter can and cities made of crystal and it's all it's all phenomenal and amazing what is interesting to me is that with many of my astral experiences i'm in places that look very similar to this world and there seems to be a kind of migratory thing that happens where people initially may see themselves in this fantastic heavenly environment, but then they start thinking, I sure miss watching TV on a couch and playing video games and going to the pub. And because they miss their old life, they settle down into a world that is more similar to this one because that's their personal preference. So not everyone who dies wants to always be in like this higher, upper, fantastical, heavenly environment that we hear about in modern of NDEs, at some point, people sort of migrate back down into this kind of astral level, which can look and feel quite a bit like this world, because that's what they're adapted to this life, and it's what they want. So that tends to be the next step that that we don't hear about in NDEs, because no one goes that far, you know, people just get the glimpse. So it so people go. Sometimes I think people begin on this what I think we call the higher astral plane, the higher higher realms, and then they migrate back down in this kind of like very. Um, I don't want to say mundane because I don't think anything in existence is actually mundane, but by it's very familiar it's a familiar environment, yeah, you know, a more normal environment. And so I think that will happen. So I mean, in general, then people who die and some people will just wake up on the on that side. So you you know you 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 your consciousness will fade. Phase out here, maybe after, maybe before cardiac arrest. You know you could be in a hospital and before you actually quote die. Your consciousness is already bilocating. And it's on that side. You're going. You, a lot of people who are dying in a hospital, they're talking to people who aren't there, talking about things happening and saying, "Oh, this is great," because they're not like you know, they, they're not really there in that body anymore. Just a little bit coming and going, and. So you may you may be appearing on that side meeting with people and you know getting adjusted while you're still partially conscious in this body and that's kind of what happens with astral projection anyway is that you're you know you're lying on your bed asleep or whatever and then you're having experiences in this other realm so for most people who are dying in a hospital they'll already begin having experiences on that side well before their, their heart stops beating and then when they finally do you know fully transition then yeah for us they're gone and then for them they're now fully on that side so it's going to be some variant of that process i think for most people and there may be exceptions there may be different types of experiences or very strange or peculiar things that happen to people but for a lot of people it seems to be that this is what happens and then there's a lot of things that happen after that fact which are more complicated concerning what what goes on with our life on that side and what things we have to adjust to and what things are different but that's a probably a whole different conversation for a different day mm-hmm.
0: um it seems to be a lot of confusion amongst the idea of going back to the oneness versus retaining a sense of individuality would you say that we kind of keep our own individual personality and memories with us
1: well if we didn't they would all be kind of pointless um, there's eastern religious concepts and if you ask Deepak Chopra for example you just die you merge with oneness and that's it that's the end of the story and but this isn't really based on evidence right it's based upon philosophy it's based upon some level of wishful thinking some people want a a variation of that to happen and if you read NDE's people have experiences of that happening but it doesn't mean that that's what afterlife is right so you can have experiences of connecting with oneness or having a um samadhi type of experience or high level meditation experience or dying and then having a higher celestial experience happening where you you connect with everything you know you these are experienced part of our consciousness that happens to us but that doesn't have anything to do with what you're actually doing in an afterlife these are events that happen to people like it can happen in this world and it can happen in that world and it often happens at death as well for some people they 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 have that experience, but the experience eventually ends, and then, then you have to figure out what well, what are you gonna do next. So you you have that mystical experience, and then what's the next step? Where, where do we go after that? So it's kind of a short-sighted position when people say that, that that's all the afterlife is is we merge with oneness it actually goes back again to dualism right because you're saying that the, only this only one type of physical or real or tangible or structured reality can exist everything else has to be something that's of the mind so it's the same it's the same dualist concept coming up again because um uh, the, the idea is that you know if you merge with a higher entity and it's uh, a mental experience and then you're no longer who you are and then you're disconnected from the one tangible reality which is this plane of existence but i don't agree with that i don't because again that, that's dualism and it's it's a very narrow perspective but many people do believe in this and good for them but it's not it's not what i believe
0: no so is it true in your experience what many claim as well that um in the afterlife realms the mind is a lot more influential over the environment. So in a way, it's kind of like a, a, a an ontologically real lucid dream where you have kind of the ability to create from will, move from will.
1: Yeah, that is correct. But um, one difference is that the lucid dream, you have full free reign to do whatever you want. In Astral State, you're affecting other people. So if you build, make a pink elephant in someone's yard, you may, you may be forcefully removed by some kind of version of astral law enforcement <laughs> so so it's a big difference there because you can you can do that and also it's a little bit more difficult so it's almost like it was a gradient so on an astral experience that's that's also a good way to tell you're having an astral experience because you can be trying to build something with your mind which on an lucid dream you can do whatever you want and you, it, it's not working but you can do something on a much smaller level like you might be able to levitate or do something do something with uh, do something mental but it's there's more, there's more of a challenge or barrier happening uh, on that level because it's, it can't be complete chaos. But nonetheless, that is the main distinction, is that unlike here, people are shaping things with their mind, creating things with their minds, uh, quite really nilly sometimes. And that creates a very crazy environment compared to our lives here. Really, really, I guess, fantastical, sometimes bizarre. And uh, that, you know, that becomes a chief difference.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Seeking Eye Life Exploration podcast. If you did and would like to continue following my research, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and following the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. You can also join our Facebook discussion group. You can find the link to this and other Seeking Eye online profiles at seeking-eye.com. Thank you.